Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello folks, and welcome to another episode of the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales success. I am here with my colleagues, Mr. Phil Jessen and Mr. Graham Jones, and I'm Simon Hazeldean. And in this episode of the Sales Chat Show, uh, the title is Sales is Commercial Warfare, How to Win the Battle. And this topic has been suggested by Phil Jessen, who I must point out, has served in the military and has seen active duty in some rather dangerous places. So I think we're talking about battles. Uh, Phil does know what he's talking about. But um, military aside, where does this apply to sales, Mr. Jessen? Well, let me first uh, develop your very kind introduction by saying that uh, sales and marketing is very similar to the military in the sense that it's four key strategies Offence, defence, alliance and deterrence are all military strategies. Uh, and some interesting uh, research has been done in the military to look at why certain battles failed. And this is research that didn't just take place in the UK, it also looked at some European battles, it also looked at some battles that our uh, friends in America will be familiar with. Um, and there are a number of them. And if I just sort of explain what some of these are, I think you'll realise the significance yeah. of them straight away to businesses. So we've got things like uh, analysing intelligence before the full picture is clear, or suppressing news from the front, or pulling rank rather than having an open debate. Um, we've got things like poor admin and logistics. We've got things like the top brass not being close enough to the front line. I don't see the connection. No. <laughs> Anybody that's watched Blackadder on the uh, TV will, of course, be very familiar with the Stephen Fry uh, portrayal of uh, General Melchit, I think it's called, isn't it? yes. uh, And we've got things like uh, obvious ones like unclear mission and purpose. Uh, high number of confusing objectives for so-and-so. But the two that really interest me, uh, and hopefully will interest you guys as well, uh, is that two of the reasons why these military campaigns failed are, quote, attacking the enemy's strengths rather than their weak points. And also, uh, and this is fairly obvious, I suppose, failure to really understand the enemy's motives, tactics and likely plans. Mm -hmm. So I think for us in the sales world and for our listeners in the sales world, uh, we don't need to dwell on this military metaphor too long today, but I think it raises the question that if you treat the competitor as the enemy for the next 10 minutes or yeah. so, what can we do, what can our listeners do to improve their knowledge and understanding of what enemy forces are likely to be up to. Yeah, That's really my question. Absolutely, because obviously we're in, a, we're in a competitive capitalist system, you know, so, and it is it is a fiercely competitive, so I think, you know, anything we can learn from 
from you know other sources is, is obviously is obviously valuable. So the attacking strengths versus weak points. So how would someone someone listening into this be a sales professional, sales manager, sales director? Where would we turn that into practical action for them? Well, one of the mistakes I think that sometimes uh, you see in sales teams is that salespeople often target the big competitor with mm-hmm. the big chunk of business. Often because of ego, uh, often the size of the prize, yep. but the sensible thing to do, of course, is to say, well, maybe today I might just leave that enemy stronghold alone and find the line of least resistance. What's the product that will be the breakthrough for me within that account? Um, It's it's that type of thinking. It's identifying the line of least resistance, not identifying the largest prize of the day. So in terms of getting into a new customer yeah. in the first place, you're finding out who to pick off, who's yeah. the easiest prey for one to Exactly, a, and maybe we pick off two or three competitors yeah. in that account until we've built up enough momentum to then take on the big incumbent. Yeah. I had a, a similar thing a few years ago with a, a company who they were second in the market. So there was a, a one company had 40% market share, they had 15% and there were several other companies with smaller percentages. And they wanted to attack the 40%. And I said, but why don't you attack all the smaller percentages? Yeah. Because together they will build up to 60% yeah. with yeah. your 50%, 15%. Yeah. And they were, they were seeing this big lump as the thing they needed to attack. Yeah. But actually it was going to be easier to attack the company that only owned 10% of the market yeah. share. Is that, is that the kind of approach that, that it, you're... It's a very common mistake. And I think for anybody that is pursuing new business from mm. new customers, the main criteria, if there was to be one, is what is the line of least resistance? Go for that, even if that just means today sell £5,000 worth or $5,000 yeah. worth today, not the 50,000 or the 100,000, that might come. But if the 5,000 pounds today is the line of least resistance, go for that, get into the account and then work it. Because also I think it's going to you could have a core supplier competitor and they could have some subsidiary suppliers. They're probably weaker to pick off probably yeah. to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you know, learning from, from the danger of mixing our metaphors, learning from nature. And I was in South Africa last year on holiday. We, we went to a wildlife rehabilitation centre and, and the guy who took us said, as you're going around, so they have lions that have, you know, been injured, etc. He said, if anybody's got a small child or a baby, watch how the lions behave. And we literally, one of the scariest things I've ever seen was a lioness come shooting over to a fence because someone had a baby in a, in a pram. Yeah. And they instinctively they know, they know to go for the weakest, the easy prey. Kind of the brutal, you know, and I think the same applies in the world of business, doesn't yeah, it? You know, it pick does. up, get in, yeah. and you know, it's like a land and expand strategy. Once mm. you're in, then you can expand. Yeah. And even if you're only in revenue in 10K a month versus the potential half yeah. a million, you, yeah. you, you are tangibly closer yeah. than if you're attacking, you know, throwing yourself hard against a, yeah. the entrenched competitor. And I think salespeople will know uh, when I say that sometimes they need to be brave enough to stand up to their boss and say, I know there's £50,000 there, but that is really for quarter four. Quarter one, I'm going for the £5,000. Yeah. 
And I, yeah. I like your land and expand philosophy. Yeah, once, exactly you, once you're in, you've got, you've got something to talk about. And at least you're in books. today. Yeah. We're not in. Yeah. But yeah. I also see it with companies saying, you know, here's our website and here's our main competitor's website, the top, and we want to be like them. Hmm. And I go, but why? Because then you're going to be too similar. Yeah. And what about the fact that they're doing nothing on LinkedIn? So why don't you just concentrate on getting to the marketplace and getting sales via LinkedIn and not worry about your website. Your website can look after itself. It, it's kind of choosing where you're going to do the battle as well yeah. as what kind of battle you're going to do, isn't it? Yeah. And where, where do, and how, what suggestions do we have around the table for finding those weak points in our competitors? Um, I think it comes from um, research and analysis. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Let's imagine that in the research or in the first call maybe, uh, we identify that um, the, um, the decision-making process consists of a manager that's got an excellent relationship with one of our competitors, mm -hmm. um, i.e. there is the enemy yeah. in bed with our customer mm -hmm. at middle manager level in a purchasing department, then rather than attack that individual, the thinking, the strategy should be, well, how do I get above that individual legitimately yeah. without going over their head, but how do I get above that individual and strike up a dialogue with other key people that allows us to still get in there and get to a presentation stage? So that may be the salesperson being clever enough to get their boss in there to go and have that board level discussion and they just make the decision to keep their middle rank decision makers yeah. sweet and not take them on. And I think also I think um, is, is questioning the customer about their current suppliers. Can we have to be quite careful and tactful about how you do it, with yeah. who you do it? But certainly, you know, asking, you know, if you were choosing a new supplier, what would be important to you? And, and how do your current suppliers measure up against that? Sometimes if you do a little bit of digging, they'll start saying, well, you know, we need we need them to be very efficient, and we've had a few problems with supply chain. Dig a little bit deeper, you find out their deliveries are failing. You know, reasonable. But what problem is that causing you? Such yeah. and such. You're actually starting to get the customer to yeah. to to give you information, and you've not in any way criticised the competitor, which is kind of an unprofessional thing to do. But you know, nobody's perfect. One you know, of my and you've got to dig it, sometimes. One of my favourite questions on that is to say to the customer. Okay, well, you've been using XYZ company for a, a number of years, and I'm pleased that they're doing a good job for you. But if you had to give them marks out of ten, what would mm. you score them? And very often the customer will say, "Well, they're doing a they're doing a very good job. I'd give them seven out of 10. Well, that's the strength. We don't attack the seven out of ten. Yeah. We say, "And what would we need to do to score the ten? And we identify the things that I the competitor is not doing. We don't take on the competitor with the things that they are doing yeah. because they've probably been doing that very well for the last three years. What's the missing three marks? What's the missing yeah. three marks yeah. rather yeah. than going for the existing Where's the set? gap? Where's, Where's the gap? gap? Where's and, then, the gap? and then question, then question yeah. in the gap. Exactly. But all the things you're talking about here are what you'd call military intelligence, aren't they? Kind of they finding out all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, military, of course, are... You know, very good at spying. You know, send you know Trojan horses in. Yes. Should we do that as salespeople? Uh, I, I, I think there are varying degrees of that. Uh, at one end of that scale, yes, we can have a look at competitor websites. We can sign up for competitor uh, chat 
uh, dialogue, um, networking events, their newsletters, all newsletters, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But at the other end, uh, and again, it might cross the ethical line for some, uh, then we might find ourselves rubbing shoulders with our competitor at a social event, an industry do, right. being on the same table with them, mm-hmm. asking them questions. Uh, or we might even go for an interview with our main competitor. Now, again, I have to say, some people will think that's unethical, and others will say, that's a very clever idea. Why don't I go along and have an interview with a competitor, brackets, and find out what they're up to? Yeah, and and, you know, it's it's of all of these things, there's a scale of of, of personal morality and ethics here, and I think people have to, we're not advocating or or, or suggesting necessarily these, we're offering them as options, and I think people have to make their own, have to make their own decisions uh, about how they operate. I I worked with a company once where the the sales director got this spot on, at every single sales meeting he used to put on a flip chart the the name of their three main competitors and typically for uh, with the three main competitors there were something like 30 field-based salespeople working for those three competitors they knew that and every single sales meeting the sales director used to say which of these competitors has lost an account manager in the last month and if there was a vacant patch They'd go for it. They'd go for it. And they would not just put the one account manager on it. They would pile the team in there for 48 hours or whatever to go through the whole thing whilst there was a window of opportunity. So once again, they're not attacking the strength. They're attacking the weakness. But see, in the past, that that was bordering on what some people would think was unethical because in order to find out who had lost their job in that area, you'd need to have some kind of intelligence within the business. Whereas now, you don't have to go that unethical route for some people because it's public on LinkedIn. It is. Because the person has changed their job title. Or the the customer might have told us. Yeah, that's true. So a lot of things that previously were unethical, you can tie those things together. So they won't have published that on their website, but the person who's left has said it on LinkedIn. So... The information is there in public nowadays that previously used to be unethical to collect. And also many industries, people move around and you may employ someone, it often happens, who have previously worked for one of your competitors. Now, I think you have to be fair to that person and and, and not not tarnish their personal integrity or how much they want to share. But they might be a source of competitive intelligence to you. Tell they us, you know, be. what's so good, what's not so good, what yeah. didn't you like, what, you know, what, where were the shortcomings? Mm. And again, you, you, with the key theme is looking for the weaknesses. Yes. Because the strengths are going to be fairly self-evident. Yeah. The weaknesses might take more looking for. But if you yeah. find the weakness, that's like a vacant territory because yeah. you know it's going to take them what? Yeah, three months to get someone on patch. Or one of their products has backfired badly, and we know that it's being recalled, so there's disarray amongst the customer base, their customer base. So if we've got an equivalent product, then we should get in there quickly. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, the second one was around failure to understand the motives and tactics. So how do we, that's probably going to be, is that going to be harder to find out, the the motive and tactic of our competitor enemy, or is it going to well, come as I, I, I think Graham's right. I think a lot of it is visible on things like websites, yeah. when you get a chairman or a chief executive with some uh, very well-articulated mission statement, vision statement, or whatever, and they very often tell you. 
uh, what their market goals are or their financial goals yeah. are. Or we yeah. want to we want to move from this type of structure to this type of structure. It, it isn't really a secret anymore, but it's about saying, well, what's the what if on that and how does it affect their customers? Will that go down well with their customers or not? And again, it's trying yeah. to work out. I think, you know, you, you put the pieces of the jigsaw together, you might find out some information in the field, you might find some information from some different sources, you can look at their LinkedIn company page, their website, if it's a publicly limited, or sorry, publicly listed company, you know, download the annual report. Yeah. And it, because it, often that annual report is trying to convince investors that our strategy is really good, and therefore, I mean, it won't tell you everything, but at least have a look at it. I'm amazed how many salespeople don't don't even look at the competitor. Yeah. I mean, they don't look at their customers' website. Some of them, which is <laughs> frustrates me. But you know, <laughs> at least have a look at the competitors. Yeah, because if you website. can see the competitors' annual report is saying we over the next 12 to 18 months we're going in this direction, yeah. you know where they're not going. Yes. I, yes, I worked with a company once that had a national network of 50 branches. Their main competitor had a national network that was three times that size. And this big competitor then announced in the media that they want to go from 150 branches to 500 over a four to five year period. Well, clearly for the company that I was working with, that was too big a challenge. So they didn't fight their competitor on that. They set up an internet business, wiped them out. Yeah. via internet. They've got more than 500 branches, really, on the internet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they went down the route that the competitor wasn't going down. Yeah. Yeah. And because of economies of scale, apart from anything else, they developed this fabulous internet proposition, which, of course, had the growth trend behind it. And they knew that, um, this is very much Graham's world, they, they yeah. knew, of course, that they were swimming with the tide, as it were, and over a three-year period, they, they wiped out the big competitor. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because we're yeah. seeing, as we record this, lots of retailers going Absolutely. into yeah. meltdown and lots of uh, jobs being lost and lots of square footage of the high streets disappearing because the retailers are trying to fight the online. Yes. So the, on the online can do stuff. You know, Amazon and, and big internet retailers can do things that a high street retailer, it's impossible for them to do because yeah. they don't have the square footage, they don't have the delivery mechanisms, it's, it's really difficult for them, but they're trying to compete with online. They should be yeah. providing an alternative to online, not competing with it. Yeah. And then they would solve their yeah. their high street so problems. I think it's, if I recall correctly, it's Tracy and Weirsama who did the, it was in the Harvard Business Review several years ago, the... The, the, the disciplines of market leaders and the companies they were saying the leaders were either operational excellence, customer intimacy or product superiority. And operational excellence, you know, people are very lean, mean organisations. They can operate in a discounting market. Yeah. So you don't, but if you're selling a more superior product, you don't fight on price mm. against someone who's lean and mean because you're going to lose. Quite. They're going to be able to out. They're going to be outgun you. So yeah. they were sort of saying if the companies were playing their strengths, their cultures, their buildings, everything about them was aligned to one of these three strategies. Yeah. They were yeah. either providing superior products to anyone else. They were getting closer and closer to their defined customer and giving a def their defined customer exactly what they wanted. Or they were just amazingly good from an operational and logistical perspective. Yeah. And they were saying, you know, they, they led in one, but they had to be as good as the others in the other two. Yeah. And then I think as the research develops, potentially, you know, they were now saying you were maybe seeing two 
yeah. of those coming in a market leader. Yeah. But they knew what they were and they stuck to it and they leveraged their strengths. They didn't try to, I've, you know, to find the on, strengths yeah. of their competitors. Yeah. I, I think I've lost count of the number of companies I've worked with that would say to me, well, we're number five in our marketplace. And I'll say, and, and what's the goal? And they will say, well, we want to be number one. Now, my answer to that, when I start to look at it, is don't be number one, but find something you can be number one in. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not about trying to pile time and effort and resources to become number one in the market, but it's to say, no, let's forget that. But what is the number one thing that we are better at? Is that customer service, as you say, Simon? Is it the product? Is it mm. the operational efficiency, but be number one in something rather than number one in the market sector. Yeah. And also you might want to be number one in a particular niche or area where the margin is particularly yeah. attractive. You might make more money being number five, yeah. but overall market, but being number one in a product area or service area where you're very good at it and you make good margin. You know, you might not want the extra infrastructure to be number one. Yeah, yeah. and also smart. being number one, you've got to maintain being number one and that can be really, really tough. Yes. And so actually it costs you more money to be at number one. Yeah. It might be better to always be number two or three. And the public, of course, and the customer base is probably ready to pull that organisation down with bad reviews on (laughs) social media or TripAdvisor or wherever it happens to be. It's a... It's a very vulnerable position to be yeah, in, as you say. So, closing thoughts, gentlemen, on uh, winning winning the battle in this arena of commercial warfare. Uh, I, I think that Phil's absolutely right. That you, You've got to focus on their weaknesses rather than on yeah. their strengths. And I, I guess that's what the military do. Uh, that when they're, they've got an opposition to deal with, they're looking at where they can attack them on their weaknesses, yeah. don't go for their strength. And I think for, for me, the, uh, the military wouldn't dream of walking up a hill, marching up a hill and going over the top of the hill without knowing what's on the other side of the hill. Yet time yes. and time again, sales teams do exactly that. Yeah. They march up the hill and go over the other side and only then, late in the day, do they find that they're actually staring at the fortification that the competitor has built. That they didn't realise was there. They didn't realise yeah. was there. Yeah. And I think, thinking back to my uh, uh, experience watching the lioness coming towards the small child that made the hairs on the back of her neck, <clears throat> she had identified the weakness and she was going at it with absolutely ruthless focus. And I think that's the thing, is if you identify it, you absolutely have to give it your all and, and relentlessly go after it. And then I think you'll really start to really start to bear some bear some fruits. Yeah. So fantastic. So some um, some challenges for you there, folks. Things to take away. Have a look at. Get inside. Get inside the information. Get that intelligence on your competitors. Attack those weaknesses. And make sure you understand them in in great detail. So it's been Simon Hazeldean, Phil Jessen, and Graham Jones from the Sales Chat Show. Saleschatshow.com, driving sales success. Lots of other episodes at the Saleschatshow.com website. So make sure you listen to some of those as you're travelling around between your customer meetings. And we would like to wish you good luck and good selling.
You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 